Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis, and with me, as always, is Fred Moreland. And the Hungi cat is still cancer-free, so we are celebrating here on a Thursday morning. Fred, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Uh, just uh, happy to be here. And uh, speaking of happy to be here, are you happy to not to be behind the draft or out of the draft or however you want to, whichever preposition I should put there? It's always bittersweet because the draft is so much fun, but man, is it a lot of work and you don't get a lot of sleep that weekend. It's yeah. it's kind of one of those deals. It's like going to Vegas. Um, yeah. You love being there, but man, are you glad you got to go home? Uh, <laughs> so it's it, it was it was fun. Um, the site did well. Um, our shows did well. Vikings uh, got some interesting players. It's hard to complain. Yeah. How do you think? Um... Do you have any favorite, like, little stories at, coming out of it? Like, just even things that maybe you haven't got a big chance to talk about? Two stories really jump out to me. Um, so, in the 2000s, the Steelers had a linebacker pass rusher named Joey Porter. Uh, just a he was awesome. gritty, gritty player. He was, he was going to punch you in the mouth. Well, his son didn't go in round one. So, like, and his son was in the green room. They invite, like anywhere between 15 to 20 players to the green room at the draft, expecting them to go in round one. Every, we'll so, often, every so often, a couple don't. This year, four guys didn't. And I think that was the same as the year before, because I was looking into this after Levis didn't get, go, get taken in the first. Yeah. So Joey Porter Jr. Um, didn't get picked, even though I had him as my top of uh, my second ring cornerback in the draft. But this cornerback class was really deep. So it kind of made some sense, too. Well, Joey Porter's like, hey, just put that chip on your shoulder and, like, use this as extra motivation. You should have gone around one, but you didn't. You can't control these things. And where does he go? First pick around two to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So now Joey Porter gets to play before the team he was around his whole life, and that was kind of cool. The other one was uh, Kansas State running back Deuce Vaughn. He's five foot five, Fred. Nice. Five, five foot Kansas five. State with the short athletes this year, about. Uh, with him and their uh, point guard from the uh, March Madness. Yeah. Um, so Vaughn, incredibly talented, but he's very, very short. And when you kind of piece it together, it's like, okay, he's probably going to fall, but he's going to get drafted. Well, he got drafted by the Cowboys. And the Cowboys let his dad make the call because his dad's a scout for the Cowboys. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's who that story was with. Cool. Yeah. And um, they didn't pick him because it was – um, his dad's son. They picked him right. because he was a good football player, and they let his dad make the call. And he just like, hey, uh, my phone's not working, so I, I just had a question for you. And then he just starts choking up. He's like, do you want to come to work with me on Monday? Oh, my God. <laughs> and then Mike, uh, the best part was at the end, um, like, uh, you have all the heartfelt stuff. It's like, yeah. Mike McCarthy's talking to him on the phone. He's like, hey, uh, can you make sure you drive so your dad's not late to work on Monday? Like, just... <laughs> You get you got to go seek those videos out. They're they're tremendous, and it's like the the Cowboys posted a video of his dad talking to Deuce earlier in the day, just be like, "Hey, keep your head up. You can't control this. It, you know, you can ball wherever you go. You're gonna be fine. Just keep your head up. It's gonna be all right." And lo and behold, he's going to Dallas, and Dallas yeah. doesn't need a running back, so awesome. He's in, he's in a good spot. Good stuff. Um, do you want to take a couple questions that I have made up for you yeah. on the draft? All right, cool. 
Uh, first of all, uh, I, I'm always uh, interested in a mystery re- relevant, especially since uh, they've become very relevant, you know, in the past couple of years with uh, Brock Purdy. Uh, any thoughts on Dejuan Johnson from uh, Toledo, the defensive end that was taken last this year? I, I don't know anything about him. I'll be honest. Um, cool. I have no Great question him. by me. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, hey, hold on, hold on. It is a good question. I just don't have that kind of time. Like. I do a lot of NFL draft stuff and it's my passion, but it's not all, all of what my job entails. I don't have time to get to like the, like a lot of the guys, some of the guys picked in the seventh round I watched, but not everybody. Like you just don't have, I, yeah. Um, Stetson Bennett, fourth rounder. Um, after talk that he may not be drafted at all by some GMs possibly as a, as a infosec black ops. What a waste of a fourth round pick by the Rams. <laughs> like they, they literally took fuck them picks to a new level. Um, <laughs> if you, if you don't know there, so there was a meme created um, online when Les Snead kept trading away first round picks, just a picture of him um, that says fuck them picks. The last first round pick he made was Jared Goff in 2016. That is a lot of first round picks. That is That's seven of them. He's traded away for veterans. And next year they're scheduled to have their first round pick, so we'll see. But at the Super Bowl, his daughter made him a shirt with the meme on it. That's just it's his face that says "fuck them picks," and he wore it to the parade. And I'm like, oh, this is tremendous. But yeah, uh, the Rams wasted a pick. There's really nothing else you can say. They straight up wasted that pick. Stetson Bennett. He's smaller than Bryce Young. He's worse than Bryce Young. I don't care if you want two natties. Ken Dorsey won a natty. And he lasted like five minutes in the NFL. Just because you were successful by record in college does not mean anything moving forward. Nothing. I can't wait until he uh, somehow starts a playoff game, uh, throws exactly one good pass in his life, and uh, wins that playoff game. And then, like, that's like his entire legacy. Um, going straight for the Tebow comparison. Um, oh, God. How do you think the Vikings did? I know that's the team that you report on closely and everything. Uh, you think they had a good draft, bad draft, middling draft? Middle to good. Um, Jordan Addison is not a sexy pick, but it's a very smart and savvy pick. Uh, he kind of gives me vibes of like Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, as far as how he likes to win. He's He didn't test super athletic, and he, he but he is quick. He's a really explosive in and out of breaks, and he just understands how to play receiver. And sometimes you take that guy over just a great athlete. And I think he's going to be a great compliment to what Jefferson provides. Some of the picks later on, I was like, eh, didn't really move me. But they also picked my favorite player in the class. BYU quarterback, Jaron Hall. I have loved yeah. this guy for multiple years and they picked him and I freaked out. I got probably like five, 10 like calls and texts like dude they picked your guy like i was i was thrilled i actually just released a piece on vikings wire um on, on wednesday where i did a massive film breakdown of what jaron hall can be it's probably the best thing i've ever written um but yeah jaron hall's my dude and the fact like vikings usually don't take guys i really love um because it's just the draft it's not how it works but yeah man was i excited when they took hall awesome uh, one more question for you. It's actually about a Minnesota Viking, a UDFA, um, or undrafted free, undrafted free agent uh, for those that aren't like that into it. Um, so uh, I was listening to a Split Zone Duo, and they were talking about Andre Carter II, who was a outside linebacker, edge rusher for Army, and uh, apparently had a great 2020 or 2021 season, and then did not look as good last year. And had an awful combine uh, series of workouts, and uh, went from being thought of as a potential first round draft pick if he had gone out last year to not being drafted at all. Um, do you think the Vikings have the potential to have made a steal here, or do you think that it's kind of just this is more what he, this guy is? There's potential for a really big steal. Uh, so here's the weird thing with Army. Um, not only are you training to play football, you're also training to be a cadet. Yes. And you talk to anybody who's ever been involved with the military, they will tell you that those workouts are incredibly different and they 
they don't complement each other. They're um, they're very like I'm trying to think of the right word. Like um, they, they basically yeah they they cancel each other out. So as a cadet, you need endurance. You need to be able to run long distances. You need to be able to have that kind of endurance. Well, in football as an edge rusher, you need power. You need muscle. You need bulk. Well, you kind of can't do both. That's not how that works. So he needs time in an NFL weight room, but he's got incredible explosion, really good quickness, and he's got length for days. So if you can get so like get him in an NFL weight program and get him into a good spot, I think you are you could have something. And but you have to be able to get there, and that's going to be the trick. Uh, are they going to be able to get there? Well. If he makes the practice squad, they're only like wasting a hundred thousand dollars. And in NFL terms, it's like you and me uh, giving twenty bucks to the homeless guy in the street. Like it's a drop in the bucket. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter as far as our own finances. Like they they chose to make the investment. We'll see what happens. Yeah, the last first rounder from one of the service academies was in nineteen forty seven. Um, it's just very interesting because, I mean, it's such an uphill batter, battle for Air Force, Navy, and Army to compete in college football in the first place on the yeah. D1 level. Well, and, and uh, things were different back then. You had to oh, serve your military service before you went to the, the league. Now, they're, these guys are grandfathered in, so they're kind of the last bunch. Now, if you want to go to the league, you're going to have to wait. You have to do your military service first. And that's like, there was kind of a big deal because they're like, well, Andre Carter just went in the draft last year, and you're kind of screwing him over out of potential millions of dollars. Like, well, and, and yeah, from the college perspective, like coaches are like uh, essentially this. It took an act of Congress for him to be eligible in this draft, if I recall correctly. And as you can imagine, if you're coaching a service academy, the idea that you might have a first round draft pick level talent who cannot be drafted or basically cannot play in the NFL during that brief window when you're that high level um, because of this rule limiting athletic opportunities for uh, service Academy athletes as pros. Um, you can imagine what that would do to recruiting for those coaches, like just how big of a hit that would be. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, and it's not like recruiting is flush for uh, the service academies anyway. So yeah, because it's such a, it's such a, with the academic standards and also some physical limitations too. I know like with Navy, they can only recruit athletes under a certain height because of submarines, I believe, if I'm not mistaken on that. So um, just yeah. and then add on top of that, that it's not like Bama, you know, or Georgia or any other of the big blue chip ones. So fun fact, Army is not going to be running the traditional uh, triple option anymore. I know they're, they, oper- they're operating out of the shotgun next year. Yeah, it's not right. Just like no. with uh is it Georgia Southern that's always done the triple? And Georgia moved- Southern is now doing the spread. Yeah. Yeah, they, they moved away from that. Um and it feels like that's actually going to take this time because there's been a co- couple coaches in the past that try to move away from it and were basically like instantly assassinated out of the job. <laughs> like people are like, No, this is our identity, get out of here. So Anyways, uh, I'm glad you survived. Uh, any other little tidbits you want to share from the, the experience or just thoughts or anything in general? No, just go go read vikingswire.usatoday.com. I have a ton of draft stuff up on there. And yeah, was- if you have teams that have first-round picks, I probably have a scouting report on them, and I can send them to you so you can get a really good synopsis of what they are. Well, I actually was looking for uh, news on Will Levis after the first round, and I did a little little Google Reno for him, and uh, I stumbled upon a article by one Tyler Fornis organically in the results while looking into that, and uh, it was like, hey, that's my guy. Which article was that? I, I think it was actually something to do with uh, the, the like Malik Willis and the other QB not being taken in the first round last year, but I forget it's it's been a whole week now. I don't remember things. So oh that's completely fair. Um I think I wrote one for zone coverage. Um oh I, I, I wrote about uh trading up for Will Levis like a month ago. Yeah that might have been it. Uh, I think it was an older article. Um uh speaking of uh bad takes uh we'll get to that part in a second but 
Good takes. Uh, All in London is taking some money in. Uh, they sold forty three thousand tickets uh, for a total of five point seven million dollars, uh, four point five million pounds, I think, and that is easily the all time attendance record for AEW. Um, their previous high was uh, twenty thousand one hundred and seventy seven for the first Grand Slam in twenty twenty one. And uh, the bad take part of this is uh, Mike Coppinger of Espen getting on Twitter and saying that, oh, he heard that they had only set up the building for uh, 40,000 seats when they were it was being reported that they were at 35K. And Tony Khan logged on, baby. <laughs> God, I love Tony Khan. Uh, tweeting at him first, all caps, LIES! What a load of crap. Tell your agent Nick Khan to shove it up his ass. And then yes. coming, coming back, since you carry the credentials of a credible reporter and represent the worldwide leader, I'm just curious, who is your source for this? And how can a reporter representing ESPN tweet something about a legit news story that's so blatantly wrong and easily verified as a falsehood? Amazing. Um Extreme, our extremely online headbooker. Um, what a guy! I can't he's say he's phenomenal. wrong. He's not wrong here. <laughs> Look, Tony Khan being so online is a detriment. As in, like, like, this is where it's great because yeah. he's just like, no, you're a chode. Shut up. You're wrong, and you're you're not even trying to be right. You're just trying to be a jackass. And he calls him out. And what does Coppinger do? I didn't think he replied at all. Because he didn't reply, coward. and he hasn't said anything else about it. He hasn't even, like, done a correction. He's just tweeting about uh, boxing bullshit that I don't care about. So, Yeah, he, he's, he's just a, a bootlicker for Nick Khan. Uh, speaking of bootlicking, apparently, apparently Deontay Wilder was arrested for uh, concealed weapon uh, in L.A., and uh, as part of his air quotes reporting on that, he retweeted a tweet from... Deontay Wilder that said, quote, I'm, I'd rather be safe than sorry. The end. Pray hands emoji. End quote. Jeez. Oh, kind of think this guy may not be good at the reporting. Yeah, think? That's that's pretty bad, Fred. That's really bad. Um, but uh, let's talk about this uh, 43,000 tickets sold for All In already. Um, yeah. This, this show is being recorded on May 4th. Tomorrow is May 5th, and that is when the, the full sale goes live because the they already did at least two pre-sales. I think one more might be happening today. Look, 43,000 tickets already, considering we had over 50,000 people sign up for the pre-sale. Um, they could get to 90. It might be a little ambitious to think that, but there is a non-zero chance at this point they get to 90,000 people. And that would be so massive. Um, Very massive, someone would just say. <laughs> that might even yeah. have a big fight feel. Oh, just maybe. Just maybe. And that, here's the thing. Not a card announced. And like, Not a single what match. If they announce Will Ospreay, if they announce Kazuchika Okada, if they announce like a huge match with the Elite, like that, you don't know what you're getting punk? from this card. Yeah. It's the, if Punk gets announced, that could move four to 5,000 tickets. Like, will it? I don't know. But if it does, Let would me you ask be you surprised? No. Would you be surprised yeah. if it moved 10 at this point? Like, I, I just, like, this is just so high end that, like, I would believe anything at this point. Like, if, if CM Punk was announced and it just jumped up 10,000 tickets immediately, like, I, I that wouldn't be the craziest thing, I guess. Uh, because we're dealing with these high end numbers, and it feels like when you're when you're in the ticket or pay per view business, when you get up to the high end, like there's you know the cap is really loose, like it, it can jump up real fast. Um, and and th- I'm taking that from like UFC because it felt like uh, when I was actually paying some level of attention to it um, back in the late uh, teens. Um, you know, you would project like Meltzer and Alvarez would try to project the pay per view rates, and for like the the run of the mill pay per views, they you know be pretty close. Uh, but then when it got to the higher end stuff, like they'd always underestimate what those buys would be. 
And I feel like ticket sales are kind of similar to that. And uh, I think, you know, you, you could put any number right now and it's like within the realm of possibility in terms of ticket sales for the show. Yeah. That this is, uh, this is huge. Um, if they sell this building out, like uh, the bucks uh, change their bio on Twitter. Like, yes, they did. <laughs> did we, it, what did it say? Did we do it again? We did it again. I think. Oh, like, <laughs> come on. Like this, this is just phenomenal phenomenal stuff fred and we could be getting a hell of a card like because this isn't like wrestlemania where you sell at the building you don't have to deliver like this phenomenal card this is the first non-major wwe show in england for like first time in like decades like you have to deliver something big here and how that'll happen with all uh, all out literally the next week. I don't know. Like, I wonder if they do some kind of little tournament here, like semifinals here and then finals at all out to kind of uh, try and ease the burden a little bit for the all out card because you have to figure out how to do like a one week build on all out. But they're going to deliver a huge card, and I wouldn't be shocked if it has a heavy New Japan influence. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what they do end up doing. Um, he's, uh, you know, it's it's rarefied air is what they're in right now. Um, and I think even if they don't sell another ticket, which obviously is not going to be the case, they're going to this. This is a it, it's a, it's 100% a success. There's no like qualification of it. It's just this has been a grand slam for them. No pun intended. Um, yeah, but it was punny. Good job. Uh, all right, let's move on to other news. Once we get more ticket information, we will talk about this and we will bury all the chodes that are just trying to spin this as a negative for AEW. It is an overwhelming positive, 43,000 tickets before uh, tickets to go on sale to the general public. That's, yeah. like, that's like, incredible. This is, there's no, you know, like I think we've been shitting on the TV quite a bit over the past few weeks. Um, but like this is 100% a positive. And honestly, anyone that you see trying to spin it otherwise, like, you should just discount their opinion on stuff. Like it's that out of the range of what's actually happening that you should reevaluate if you're, you should actually listen to them. If somebody tries to tell you this is a bad number for AEW, they have an agenda. And yeah. exactly. Either uh, an agenda to- or they just are completely out of touch. Yeah. Let's go to other news though, Fred. Andrew Zarian from um, Wrestling Observer, he hosts the Matt Man podcast, I believe. Uh, reported that dark and dark elevation are done for now. Um, the WBD deal uh, for Collision requires AW Wrestling to air exclusively on Warner Brothers Discovery um, programming, and that includes TBS and TNT. Um, ROH is currently excluded from that. Now, will that change? We don't know. We don't have any inclination that it will. But uh, dark and dark elevation are done. Um Dark was a really cool concept. Just be like, oh, we're just going to air the dark matches on YouTube. And Dark Elevation was supposed to be like a step up from that to give you actual quality matches. They had guys like Moxley and Omega on early on, but then the pandemic hit. Everything shifted with how those programs were utilized. Um, And then Rampage came about, and that kind of became what Dark Elevation was supposed to be. Uh, We'll see what happens with Collision, but, I mean, Dark and Dark Elevation are done. Yep. Um, it's, uh, the, I think the greatest thing we're losing is the, uh, Excalibur and Taz comedy hour. Um, <laughs> they could just be super relaxed and just, uh, do whatever shtick they wanted to. And, uh, or, honestly, uh, what was it? Uh, Taz and Ricky Starks talking about the ha- blood handprint on Japanese deathmatch legend Luther's ass. Yeah. And trying to figure out, Oh, is that his handprint? Ricky's like, well, if it was his handprint, it would be facing downward. Taz's like, no, he's double jointed. <laughs> Just all time uh, stuff. Honestly, Matthew from Botchamania, like he he has to do like a special tribute to this. Like it, it's it gave him so much material. Um, and honestly, I'm kind of sad to see it go. Just because those two are a blast together when they're just goofing off. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Dark really became po- a podcast with wrestling in the background. And uh you know, usually that was appropriate for what they were doing on Dark. 
All right, moving forward, Rampage. We don't really talk about Rampage much because it kind of stinks. And the rating last week was a disaster, but um, it's not all their fault. Um, they moved the show back an hour after Dynamite announced that it was going to be at 5.30 Eastern, but they started it at 6.30 Eastern. 298,000 viewers and a .09. You can kind of throw that rating out for a number of reasons, but if this show was good, people would still find it. Yeah, but I do think that it's a big caveat this week for the rating. Uh, just oh, yeah, absolutely. That, like, I, this is one of those that isn't worth analyzing because, I mean, first of all, it's out of its time slot. So, in general, those should really be, you know, evaluated with a big grain of salt. But also the fact that they essentially false advertised the start time for the show on Dynamite. <laughs> I think uh, you can't understate just how big of a deal that is for the rating. Um, but, you know, also, I watched that Rampage this morning and... Uh, let me tell you, it stunk. Um, it was not a fun, like a particularly fun show. It had three squashes. Um, and like, I know that it's out of your time slot and everything. And you're planning for a five thirty start time, but like you gotta, you still have kind of a boost from, um, from the, the, the hockey. I think it was the hockey playoffs coming after it. And you just got to do something better than this card. Did you even see what the card was? Tyler? No. I'm going to read this card off to you um, and uh, give you brief thoughts on uh, Rampage because that's all it deserves, our brief thoughts. So your opener was Jay White and Juice Robinson against Ricky Starks and Sean Spears. Perfectly acceptable match, three and a half stars. Very Like, if you're going to watch one thing off this show, that's what you should watch. Um, secondly, we had uh, Dustin Rhodes and Keith Lee against a job team of Brady Pierce and Charlie James. All the stars. And then we had... Anna J A S against Ashley Dwum. I'm sorry, Dumbois. I'm going to mispronounce that pretty badly, uh, but she's like basically a jobber. And the only reason this went over five minutes, it has a cage match rating, is because it went through the commercial break. And then immediately after that, they had the acclaimed Billy Gunn come out and squash three geeks. Um, and then the main event was Cash Wheeler against Jay Lethal with uh, Mark Briscoe at ringside. What and- an awful card. Three squashes back to back to back, man. Like it was, it was kind of brutal. I'll be honest. And the promos in between, like there was nothing really spectacular on it. Like maybe the the strongest promo was Tay Conti telling uh, Sammy that he's kind of being an idiot, thinking that MJF is his friend. There was a kind of a really bad one with Matt Hardy um, having to sell uh, Isaiah Cassidy getting killed by the firm while watching a TV. Uh, it, this is, uh, this was not a, this, this was not a rampage at all. This was barely a page. Got him. Glad I didn't watch it. Let's move on. Uh, Leva Bates contract has expired and she's leaving the company. Um, she hadn't wrestled since the pandemic. Um, and kind of for good reason, she was really, really bad. Uh, but they kept her around. They, um, I'm guessing having her in a lot of backstage roles. And now she is done with the company. Um, now, she, she had been wrestling uh, semi-regularly on Dark and Dark Elevation. She, she did 11 matches uh, since the start of 2022. Uh, but the oh, last okay. Time, yeah. Um, the last time she was on TV proper was, uh, March, 2020. So like, I think right either. Yeah. Right before the pandemic started. So she wasn't even making TV during the pandemic days. And she was in Jacksonville, at least at the tail end of 2020. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, look, she, you know, Leva Bates is by all counts, a lovely person and, uh, very nice and well loved by, just about everyone, and uh, I hope she is able to find something that makes her very happy uh, after this. There's some there's some possibility that she is uh, going to try to move into uh, into acting. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, I think that you know this is probably the right time for her to leave wrestling. I am a little surprised that 
she's not sticking around his office staff because that's, I think, typically how Tony Khan operates. So maybe that's her call or maybe he made the call to just completely move on. But yeah, uh, she was a day one act and uh, uh, it didn't work. It It happens. I, I can't. Well, I can't believe that anyone ever really thought that librarians gimmick was going to work on any major level at all. Like that's not a major league act. Um, that's like the flying Elvises for TNA's first show, <laughs> kind of. Hey, kind of. No flying Elvises slander. Those guys ruled. Oh, the the workers were great. They were they were much better than Leva Bates. Um, but like the gimmick itself, just like was dead in the water from day one. Yeah, is what it is. Um, this is some really cool news. Will Washington, formerly of uh, Grapsity and Fightful was brought in as director of wrestling administration. Um, He will be assisting with, this is the best part, continuity and long-term booking. And if there's one, anybody among the wrestling media who understands this, um, Will is going to be up there in the first few names that you mentioned. And based on how he acts on social media and kind of his appearances um, in audio video format, he comes across as just one of the nicest and well thought out individuals in the space. And if you're going to make a hire like this to try and do exactly kind of what's, what they want here, it's you're it's going to be tough to find a better candidate than Will Washington. Yeah. Um, it's by all accounts, he seems to be perfect for this. Um, also being Swerve Strickland's cousin probably does not hurt. Oh, um, okay. I did not know that. Yeah, I think that's the case. I've, I've seen that mentioned several times now. So, um, you know, it's always good to have a foot in the door. Um, so you do know, we Tyler, have to bury this for being a nepotism hire now? Uh, you, know, it's, you know, it's good nepotism if you're good at your job, I guess. Uh, we'll see how it goes. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know Will, but, um, you know, he's got apparently a lot of... Uh, a lot of cred with people, and uh, it's very cool to see. So good for him. Congrats to him. He's got some killer uh, all elite photos already. So good on him. Yeah, I don't know him either, but everything I, I've seen of him, he just strikes me as as a very intelligent, kind individual. And those are the kind yeah. of people you want to bring into a company. So you know what the bad thing is now? Every uh, every shitty AEW podcaster is, uh, or any wrestling podcaster is going to think that maybe they could be hired by Tony Khan. Oh, that's a good point. Hey, I could so, be hired by Tony Khan. So, hey, TK, listen, buddy, it's just me and you listening. All right, cool. Uh, I am available. You want to talk? You can get in touch. We cool. Tony, uh, I do scout NFL players on the side. I, I can help your scouting department as well as help with the creative on on a weekly basis. Just saying. I got credentials. I work for USA Today. Tony, we actually think the last month of television has been wonderful. Uh, yeah, yeah fuck that. Money. No, Tony, the last month of television has been spotty at best. You're better yeah, than that's, this. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Give me money Honestly. so I can tell you that you suck. We're, <laughs> we're going to do AEW financial domination. Hey, we're we're going to be only Bob fans for Tony Khan. We're, we're going to be Bob and Bob consultants from Office Space. So uh, what do you actually do around here? As I'm- Nothing. I'd say on an average workday, I do about 15 minutes of work. That Peter Gibbons, he's a he's a real go-getter. He's got upper management written all over him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do think this this uh, that some people will probably take the absolute wrong lesson here. Um, yeah. And I look forward to being one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Tremendous. All right. One more or two more pieces of news, and they both kind of involve Chris Jericho. One of yeah. them He's starring in a movie called Country Hearts. Is going to premiere on UPTV. Um, he's going to play Bones Jameson, a rock star ranch owner who is the father and husband to a family of country music artists, all while trying to start a new horse breeding business. That that feels like actually Chris Jericho. This one hundred percent looks like um, it's going to have like sub Hallmark movie channel production values and i am uh i'm i'm sure this is going to be a disaster and we may have to watch it for the podcast this may be how we start our patreon that every other wrestling podcast has that's right yeah (laughs) um but yeah this uh this will be fascinating but part two 
we have to talk about the Britt Baker t-shirt that Chris Jericho wore on television last night. And so I think we need to come at this from a lot of different angles. I'm going to start here. Sure. Um, I don't, uh, the intent, the people are going to take this as, um, as a domestic violence thing. And I completely get it. A man is wearing a shirt of a woman with a black eye and it's being sold by AEW. But I, I don't believe that's the case, and I completely understand and respect anybody who has that opinion. Britt Baker has sold t-shirts like this before. And she has one, if you remember the uh, death match from St. Patrick's Day Slam, where she's like crawling up the ropes and she's just covered in blood, her teeth are coated in it, and she's just smiling like that evil smile that you'd see Mick Foley use. She sold the hell out of that t-shirt. Um, and that now she gets beaten up by the Jericho Appreciation Society and uh, well, really the, well, the mainly outcast. Jamie Hayter, uh, yeah. yeah, the outcast. And but they were kind of in cahoots. Um, Anna Jay was there too, if I remember correctly. So like it was, it was kind of a team effort. And of course, Jericho feuding with Adam Cole wears the T-shirt. So the intention here is just to piss off Adam Cole, not portray domestic violence. But at the end of the day, man wearing a, a T-shirt with a woman with a black eye still portrays domestic violence. It's not a great and look. Um, no, but I, I think it, you could argue. I, I'm kind of on the fence about Jericho wearing it because I I, I understand within the context of the show that he's specifically trying to agitate Adam Cole's character, and like that part I get. Mm-hmm. Uh, the part that is like a hundred percent not great to me is selling it to the general public. Because, like, imagine, you know, just, like, someone being like, yes, I will purchase the Black Eye t-shirt, and then uh, just wearing it, like, like to the grocery store, and then you just look like a yeah. fucking maniac. This is a t-shirt you wear to a wrestling show, and people don't necessarily bat an eye, but this is a t-shirt you wear in public, and, and this is why people are embarrassed to be wrestling fans. Like, yeah. like you can wear a Bullet Club t-shirt, and that, that, that kind of passes the, the public test. Like, okay, that could be, like, a band or something, like... Yeah, I, I own a couple Orange Cassidy shirts that I wear that just look like band logos and are pretty good as far as t-shirt designs, in my opinion. This is uh, yeah, this is rough, I think, to, to be selling it. But, you know, I mean, I also don't think it's an actual endorsement of domestic violence or anything. I think that's pretty far-fetched. Um, now, hold on, hold on. It's far-fetched for us because we're invested in, in this company. We're right. Now, but if someone just sees that in, in person with no context, yeah. like, whoever's wearing that is going to look like a goddamn maniac. And in that that's the context you have to kind of think about. Right. I think exactly. Britt wearing this T-shirt is fucking cool as hell. Yeah. Like, Britt's like, oh, you beat me up? Hey, here's my picture, baby. Take a look. You beat me up. I'm still here. Like, I think that kind of self-confidence and awareness is really cool and a positive perception kind of – like like how to present yourself like oh i'm tougher than you you big bad bully like like they're yeah. trying to appeal to kids while appealing to us like longtime wrestling fans so like that's a good positive message jericho wearing it i l- love it for his character i don't love it overall like it and i think those two things can be separate yeah i think that's per- perfectly fair like it it just <sighs> Kind of is what it is. Um, there really isn't anything you can do. Like, it just, it happened. Like, maybe don't do it again. Yeah. I, I they still have it up for sale. Uh, you know, uh, I would not, but it's still, I think, uh, I don't know. Do they still have the, uh, the top listings on the site, the shop AEW.com? What's been the best okay. of the week? It's a good question. Uh, so I... It's the it's the number two selling item right now. There it is. I just had to scroll down more. Um, yeah, uh, there's going to be a lot of people that look like uh, creeps. <laughs> I think the second they step out of the arena. Yep, but I mean that's their choice. Let's get yeah. to this dynamite show, Fred. What did you yeah. think on an overall level of this show? It was about, it was like slightly better maybe than what last week was. There's some stuff on here that I thought was a definite improvement. And then there's some stuff that, um, that I thought was particularly weak. 
Um, so we got a mixed bag this week for sure. I'll say this. I still don't think it's back. Um, the vibe was better on this one. I thought. Yes. Um, the vibe was better and it started off early. You had orange Cassie coming out with bandito and then you hear the end of heartache by kill switch engage and Roderick strong comes out and this dude was cheesy. He had just this grin on his face. You could tell he was like, I'm a professional wrestler again and was just so happy. Like You could just feel it. He was yeah. just so happy to be here. And the crowd went ballistic for him. And the Messiah, the backbreaker, is back. And it's great. Um, they come out. Uh, Jericho Appreciation Society comes out. And then as their music comes out, Jumbotron stays the same, but it's Judas. And out comes Chris Jericho with that famed Britt Baker t-shirt. And that's going to play into kind of the post-match. So um, Jericho, best line on commentary. I don't like this Roderick Strong one bit. <laughs> Just perfect. Um, they uh, they get the win. Um, Roddy hits a move on, I think, who was it? Um, cool Hand Ange. And then Adam Cole with the last shot. Bingo. And then right after the match, Adam Cole sprints up the ranch ramp and attacks Jericho at commentary. And that's where that t-shirt comes into play because I think that was what really set him off, but he knew he had to take care of business first. This was this was a, to set up the angle and keep this feud really, really hot, but the match itself was good. I gave it three and a half. Yeah, I went three and a half on it too. It was a nice little match, a uh, fun opener um, for some pretty good work in it. And I, 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 I think, you know, there's some people that are down on it because of Adam Cole maybe over-emoting at points. But I, I do like the storyline so far. I think it's been pretty good. Um, and I like the the visual of Cole uh, sprinting up the ramp to tackle uh, Jericho. I thought, that, I thought that was good. Yeah, it was really good. Um, this is – this next part, Rene Paquette interviews Jack Perry and Darby Allen backstage. Um, they – this was fine. It was to kind of set up the angle before the match. Um, basically, they keep talking about how they're going to walk into double or nothing um, as number one contenders. Um, and it you kind of got the sense that Darby has wanted to do it on his own. But I don't know. This is just an interview segment to continue setting up and building the match. When I saw it was these two backstage doing a promo segment together with just Renee there, I, I was like, oh no, this could be a real disaster. And I will say that I thought it was it was fine by the end. And, you know, like credit to them for doing a, you know, granted this is a low bar, but they did a solid interview segment. And uh, that's something, I guess. Yeah. Um, right after Adam Cole was escorted out uh, of the arena by security while Jericho screamed at him. And Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, walked up to Jericho and just slapped him. Uh, Taz, just just a great Taz line. Tough night for Jericho. Just, <laughs> Good stuff. I, I love Taz. It's He's just different. Um, uh, next up, we have the Blackpool Combat Club backstage. Brian Danielson. We want AEW to be the best. Okay, hold on. I got to cut you off there. here. I got to cut okay. you off here, much like AEW cut off the audio on the first 10 seconds of this promo. Uh, look, you, you've been on TV. Okay, Tony, Tony, this is me auditioning for the job. Uh, Tony, uh, as uh, as uh, your second Will Washington esque hire, um, I just want to tell you, man, fix the goddamn audio on your show. I realize that my audio setup is shit over here. Uh, I got my shitty laptop uh, fan like working overtime to keep everything going all right. We, you never have the audio balanced right. The start of the show had Excalibur like right in the crowd noise. You could barely hear him over it. It wasn't like some kind of Austin, you know, uh, attitude era pop coming out. And then you managed to drop the the audio that started this promo segment. Uh, my God, just get your shit together on the audio on your show, please. 
whoever if someone at AEW is cursed by having to listen to the show as part of their job so that you get notes together to give them to Tony Khan, please write in all caps for me, Fred Moreland, just asking nicely. Please write in all caps. Fix the fucking audio. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. All right. Well, now that you are um I feel better this off your chest, I'm very glad you feel better. Um right after Dan- Danielson talks. Um, Mox, the elite should be thanking us for sharpening them. You think we're bullies? There was a time when the elite was cutting edge. I don't know. Next week, a steel cage match. Mox and Omega, that just hits different. Every day, the BCC gets better and more dangerous. I've got a whole new version of John Moxie that I just can't wait to show you, Kenny Omega. I promise this. We're going to leave one hell of a mark. And every time they've said a line like that, they have delivered. It's you Lately, it's kind of been screwdrivers to the head, but this is... That was a noteworthy finish for me. Yeah, uh, damn good promo. Uh, this is BCC Elite is the best thing going in the company right now by a good margin, and um, this was another great segment for them. Bingo. Um, next, we had Outcast Soraya with Ruby Solo and Tony Storm versus Willow Nightingale. Match was fine. Um, yep. I didn't think it was overly offensive, and considering how Soraya started with the company, um, you could use more of this. Um, this was fine. Uh, two, yeah. two, I went two and a half stars on it. Like, and I don't mean that as an insult. Like, I just thought it was slightly above average. Yeah, I, I guess for me, average is three stars. Like, and for me, it's two. I, so, like, you know, I, it's just I, I, I use the scale differently, and that's okay. Um, yeah. But it was after the match that was important. Um, they were attacking Willow, and Sheeta, Hikaru Sheeta, runs to the ring. This was a like good segment. This is a phenomenal segment because she acts like she's going to turn heel. But then all of a sudden, Jamie Hayter and Dr. Burt Baker sneak up and she doesn't turn heel and she spray paints the outcasts. So it looks like they finally have their their third piece to yeah. combat the outcasts. And this was very well done. Um, I thought, yeah, this was a really good segment. Um, the whole crowd thought Sheeta was turned and, and they got him. And that's that's great. Yeah, it was a really good swerve. Um, I will say uh, one of the best parts of this was the outcast selling of like Sheeta joining them and the shit-eating grins they had when they were holding up uh, Willow to uh, be beat up further by Sheeta. Like they just looked so happy with themselves. Like it was Jeff Jarrett level, like you know, mid-card healing, and uh, I think they really did a good job with that. So kudos to them. Yes, absolutely. Um... Trios champs, House of Black were backstage. This was really good. I really like this video package. Um, they said there was an open house and it would be under their rules. Um, basically, come one, come all, setting up the um, Trace de Mayo Battle Royal. So a Trios Battle Royal. Um, and I believe winners get a shot at the Trios champions. And I think that's at double or nothing. I don't know if they said that explicitly. But, but it probably will be. Yeah. And they uh, have so the, the spooky rules. The yeah, house whatever rules. the hell that is. Uh, 20, um, uh, 20 count on the floor, no rope escapes, and the challengers decide if it's DQ or no DQ. Ooh. So I think that actually works like rather that. well. And uh, we hopefully we can finally get the House of Black wrestling. Um, and, uh, you know, like on a regular basis on TV too. So, cool. Fascinating. Um, let's talk about this trio's uh, battle royal. The Lucha Brothers, Penta El Cerro Miero, Ray Phoenix, and El Hijo del Vikingo versus Kip Sabian, Butcher and the Blade versus the Dark Orders, Alex Reynolds, Evil Uno, and John Silver versus the varsity athletes, Aria Davari, uh, Josh Woods, and Tony Nese versus the acclaimed Max Caster, Anthony Bones, and Daddy Ass Billy Gunn versus QT Marshall, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Aaron Solo. So this was fun. Um, this is a great battle royal company. And it was weird that they had Kip Sabian, the Butcher and the Blade, all in the match at the, in the final five with the only other two being Daddy Ass and Anthony Bowens. But it worked. Like, this worked. I wasn't into this. I thought, I, I think they're, they used to be a really good battle royal company, but their last couple have... Uh... Not been particularly great, and I thought this one was just very, very bland. Uh, it didn't have the usual like series of cool spots going, and it also didn't have the usual uh, 
stuff, uh, the multiple stories being told through the Battle Royal, which when they, the first couple years of the company, they did a really good job of. Yeah. Uh, so I just I think they failed at both. I think you're right when the fact that it's not as good as the other ones, but it was still fine. Like, this was not bad. Yeah, I went, I went like one and three quarters on it because it was a little, I don't know, it kind of bored me. And I also think there was some ugly botches involving uh, QT Marshall. Um, the Alex Reynolds elimination was a disaster because he went flying before QT even hit him. And then QT missed his spot to grab Ray Phoenix's foot on Phoenix's elimination. So, Yeah. Um, after this, Renee Paquette backstage with Sammy Guevara. Guevara calls out MJF for leaving him. And unlike Kenny Omega, Sammy Guevara watches back the tape. It's like, that car was empty. You left me out to dry. And MJF um, saying he had a bad back and he'd have the car to himself so he could spread out. <laughs> of course, Sammy bought it. Apologized. She'd have never doubted MJF. And MJF hints that he's got mashup music for tonight. Yes. Uh, and, and they did debut that. And it actually worked out pretty well. Um, this it, it, this segment doesn't really make all that much sense after Rampage. Um, it's kind of like his wife told him, "Hey, he's not your friend." And like for a, for a, a week, he was like, "Maybe she's wrong." But other than that, this was Sammy Guevara and MJF are good as a little shitheaded heels. Mm-hmm. Next up, we hear from the Elite: Kenny Omega and Don Callis. This was good. Um, this was really let's good. go through it. Um, Omega, John Moxley, you're telling me you have a plan for next week. Don Callis, this this line was tremendous. He's got a plan. Moxley, look at this scar on my forehead. You're a sick, twisted sociopath. It's all going to come to an end in Detroit when you meet the god of pro wrestling. I love Don Callis. But then Omega follows it up. John, you might make me bleed. But at the end of the day, everything comes to an end. You're not going to be left standing. What you and the BCC did to me, the Young Bucks, to Kesha, what you did to Don, you made it personal. It ends next week. Spoiler, it won't end next week. But this match is going to be Freaking tremendous. I don't know if Omega's ever wrestled in a cage before. At least not yeah. in modern day Kenny Omega. I can't think of one offhand other than, um, well, uh, I'm not sure. Let me, I'll, I'll do mean, a little maybe, investigation. Maybe he did in Winnipeg. Maybe he was in one of those weird cage matches in AAA. But in a major league company, I don't think he's ever wrestled in a cage. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. Um, except for, well, he was on the. No, he wasn't. Okay, so no, he was not in a cage match on this 2008 JAPW show. You know, I don't know that he ever was. Um, yeah. So I don't think so. Tremendous. All right, Kenny Omega in a cage match. Next up, TNT champion Wardlow with the enforcer, Aaron Anderson. Um, he beats the crap out of a jobber named Logan, and he grabs the mic. I ain't done. I can do this all day. I haven't even broken a sweat. I know there's a guy backstage looking to cut the line, but doesn't have the guts to get in this ring. Christian, bring your monster out here, and we'll do this in Baltimore. I'm issuing an open challenge. Well, Christian comes out and uh, basically says, no, uh, Baltimore is pretty obvious. You're ignorant and you're trash, so keep it down while I conduct some business. The title shot doesn't belong to Luchasaurus. It belongs to me. So it looks like Wardlow Christian. Yeah, and uh, that should be fun. Um, I thought this was uh, a decent post-match there. And, uh, you know, I uh, hopefully we'll get some more promos, from, especially from Christian on this side of the feud, and uh, get some good stuff going. Yes, absolutely. Um, moving on. This was great. Um, Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt-Satnam singing Jeff Jarrett. Oh, yes. Pay a visit to Sandy Fork and Papa Briscoe. Um, that, like, Papa knows Jay Lethal, but he says, I don't trust those guys in the overalls, Satnam Singh and Sanjay Dutt. Which Watch one? Back. Um, yeah. Um, Lethal issued a challenge for him and Jarrett to face uh, the AW Tag Champs FTR in Vegas at double or nothing. So it looks like we're going to get Lethal and Jarrett versus FTR, which could end up being good. Hopefully it's better than that um, that singles match Dax and Jarrett had. That was just really bad. But this was a fun segment. Um, going yeah, to Sandy this... Fork, Delaware. 
Like, one of the best segments they've had in a while, I think. Uh, just uh, this was one of the things that really made me optimistic about the direction of AEW. Um, Papa Briscoe, Satnam Singh, and those overalls. Like it was, it was good comedy um, with the right guys. Mark Briscoe is good for the spot. Jeff Jarrett is perfect. This is what Jeff Jarrett's whole career should have been. And it's a damn shame that he kept trying to force himself as like the ultimate world champion in TNA and the odds. But we're here now. All right, Bullet Club's rock hard. Juice Robinson was switched by Jay White versus Absolute Ricky Starks. Switchblade comes out with Juice but goes into the back, and this is a pretty good match. Um, I think that there's a better match in them because it, it just felt like they were kind of just going through spots. I gave it three and a half. Um, Same. Ricky gets Ricky gets the spear, and then Jay White ambushes Ricky after the match. Um, and looks like the end goal here is Jay White versus Ricky Starks at the pay-per-view. Yeah, and I think that'll be a fun match, uh, and I'm looking forward to that. This was pretty good. Uh, the best thing that Juice Robinson's doing right now is just screaming Ricky multiple times during his matches. Like, that just cracks me up every time. It's good stuff. Yes, absolutely. Um then this is where things get weird. AEW world champion MJF approaches Jack Perry behind closed doors. Now, the key here was Darby was talking to him beforehand, and Darby leaves. He ends up just going to get a skateboard and then comes back for Perry. While MJF was trying to talk to Perry um, about, you know, joining him. You're twice the wrestler that Sammy is. Think of what I could do for your career. All you have to do is betray Darby. I'm offering you a, you a spot next to the throne. And... Perry's like, I'm, I don't want a spot next to the throne. I'm going to be the next world champion. And Darby doesn't necessarily believe that it was a bunch of nothing. Like, to Perry, it's a bunch of nothing. But Darby's like, what's that about? Jack's like, no, don't worry about it. We've got this. Darby, no, I've got this. And that'll play into the, the finish of the Four Pillars tag match where Darby Allen gets the win over Sammy Guevara. Um after hitting the coffin drop. But the key here was after they had a good match with some drama built in, um, Jungle Boy um, was running the ropes and Darby gets the tag and he goes for the pin. Well, Darby is up on the top rope about to hit the coffin drop and Jungle Boy's got to roll out of the way. And Darby kind of steals the win here out of Jungle Boy, grasps. And to me, this is a continuation of the what I think think you and I both believe is a potential jungle boy heel turn. Yeah, I thought that was, um, I, I do think we're going to get that Perry heel turn. I've been talking about that for a couple weeks now. Um, and of course I'm right. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, okay. um, but I do think it's going to happen. Uh, seriously. Uh, I, I say wrong stuff plenty of times. Don't worry. Um, but I, I think that could work out very well for him. And uh, I thought this was a pretty fun match. Like, it wasn't great by any stretch, but I think it was the best match on the show. Uh, and the best AEW match I watched all week, I went three and three quarters on it. Um, I enjoyed this quite a big bit. MJF and Guevara, they have great heel chemistry. Um, they're, they're both great as heels, as this very over-the-top kind of heel. And um, I like Guevara finally turning on MJF. Um it not leading directly, uh, kind of led directly into the finish, but not like as immediately as I thought it would, which was a little interesting because we had to work in the Darby and Perry don't trust each other either thing, which like, my God, we could ease up on that if I were to redo this again. But all yeah. in all, good match. Uh, and But man, I got to say this, uh, the build, this build for the main event is... Easily the weakest uh, world championship program in the history of AEW, as far as a major one. Yeah, this is uh, the only weaker one I can really think of offhand is Christian and Kenny Omega. That was better, I think. But no, I agree it was better. Um, they also had the Impact World title to kind of do uh, stuff with. And obviously Christian won the Impact World title on the first ever episode of Rampage. Um, but yeah, this is... I, I love the idea of doing it because you have to save your big stuff for the summer. And this is a chance to give your pillars an opportunity to kind of show you something. And I don't like what I've seen so far. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think there was ever really a question that MJF was going to retain in this feud, but like, as this feud has progressed, like, I think it's just 
the the likelihood that you're seeing any of the other guys hold the world championship in the immediate future is decreasing rapidly. MJF uh, should pin all three of these guys at once, just like Roman pinned Eddie yeah. and Daniel Bryan in the middle yeah, of the stack them up. Um, God, this is again. I still think, like I, you know, you could argue that Perry turning heel would be the best thing for his career in a vacuum, and maybe it is. But I also feel like at this point, um that like you almost have to turn him a heel to salvage him. Uh, I think they've done a, a noticeable amount of damage to him with this feud. I think Sammy Guevara is just going to be in the exact same spot he's been in since practically day one of this company is just uh, a sidekick. Um, and I do think he has the potential to be more, but I don't think that this is particularly making me want to see him in main event feuds on his own. And I think Darby's been fine-ish on this. Like, there's been a couple promos for him that have not been great. But I don't know, man. I still, I think he still has the vibe of being Darby Allen, and I think he's still over. I don't think it's actually hurt him any, but I think it has exposed a couple weaknesses that uh, yeah. he's had. No, 100%. It's a little disappointing. You think they'd be further along after four years, but they're not. And yeah. that is Dynamite. Um Next week, we do have the uh, Moxley and Omega Cage match. I am so excited for that because it's been a long-ass time since we've had a truly great match at Dynamite. And I hope why Why does Detroit get all the cage matches? They got Blood and Guts, the first one outside of Jacksonville. They got – now they're getting this Moxley-Omega Cage match. Is that just a Detroit thing where they, they like, are – just huge marks for this stuff or is it just coincidence well that is kind of the territorial history for detroit and uh i would imagine that you know maybe a little bit of that is tony Khan playing off of that because this is the detroit was the territory with all the bloodbath matches back in the 60s and 70s um they didn't have actual good work rate matches but they had the wild um, bloody brawls throughout the arena um so mm. in cage matches and stuff like that so Learning new things about Detroit, I didn't know. Also, um, it's just, you know, it's Detroit, baby. Maybe he's just a big Bad Boy Pistons fan. And and maybe he's a... Do you think Tony Khan is secretly a huge fan? I'm making this reference solely for myself, but a huge fan of uh, the old video game Bill Lambeer's Combat Basketball. Okay. I and, hope not, and, because that game was awful. But, this again, this could is... You, let, let, let's sidetrack for a second before we wrap up this show. Yeah, sure. I want to see Bill Lambeer in an actual cage match. You know, Bill Lambeer, uh, at least recently, was uh, head coach in a for a WNBA team and actually was very successful doing the Detroit that. team. Yeah, uh, um, and then he moved to I, the Aces. I think didn't he get let go from Detroit because he was too much of an asshole? Uh, I think he's been let go several times by now. Yeah, he got let go by his most recent team, the Vegas one, in twenty twenty one. And the Aces are like one of the best teams in the WNBA now, too. So yeah, um, but you know they they replaced him with uh, I want to say Becky Hammond, who's oh Hammond great. rules. Yeah, Hammond should be coaching in the NBA right now. She should be. She should be. But you know, like, how, no offense uh, to the WNBA, but like the NBA is considered the up like the top echelon of basketball. Yeah, it, I mean, it always will be. She was handpicked by Greg Popovich. Like, how does nobody hire her? It's, you know, uh, I think that part, a complicating factor is going to be the fact that she has this job and probably does not. Well, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, money talks and bullshit walks. But there's a possibility that she might, at least right now, not feel comfortable leaving the team midseason or as the season is starting for an NBA job, at least until she gets a ring out of them. Um, which, yeah. well, I guess she did last year, so never mind. Maybe, you know. Maybe she just wants another ring. Who knows? Um, yeah. yeah. There's a chance she's just happy with the WNBA and, and doesn't want to go up and, like, some people don't want to be the pioneer. Yeah. And I can understand that because it's a different level of scrutiny. You're going to be – everything you do is under a microscope. Like, the Vikings general manager, Kwesi Dofomens, is, like, the first – one, he's black. That doesn't help matters any as far as scrutiny. But two, he's like the first analytics GM. He comes from Wall Street. He's not a football guy. Like, yeah. like he's going to be extra, extra scrutinized. So, but I, uh, I'd hire. 
I'd hire Becky in a heartbeat. She rocks. Yeah, she is awesome. And uh, I don't know. I think the Aces are going to be one of the best teams again this year. Uh, yeah. What's very funny with Lambeer is uh, going back and looking at the historical stats for his teams, which I've been doing as I prep for the upcoming WNBA season, uh, is just how dramatically fewer three-point shots his teams always took than the other teams in the league. Like, we're talking, like, 75% of them, if that. Guy just loved loved his bigs. Anyway, we're getting pretty far afield here. Um, well, that's, wanna, that's the show. Yeah. Do you want to talk about EC3's letter to Tony Khan? I forgot to mention this. Put in the chat. Uh, I'll, I'll do it real self, quick. How self-indulgent was it? That's what I want to know. I don't know. The text hasn't been released, but apparently right after Brawl Out, EC3 wrote a letter to uh, Tony Khan trying to give him uh, uh, tips on how to be a leader. But I'll, definitely was not looking for a job with him. Uh, he said this in some interview somewhere, but uh, I, I saw the headline this morning, and uh, it was a good chuckle. OEC3. He's really trying to control the narrative here. He is, definitely. Uh, so, okay, seriously, before we do go, how are you feeling about AEW right now? Are you are you up on them as of a couple weeks ago? Down? Same spot? A little bit up. I mean, I especially with the announcement of All In and understanding that this company is going to be more moving forward. Like there's going to be a lot better storylines this summer. Like, yeah, I, I guess I'm up, but man, I'm just not looking forward to these shows. Like I used to be like, yeah, I I'm, um, I, you know, I'm not watching rampage until Tuesday or Wednesday these days. Uh, and honestly, if it wasn't for, this podcast, I'm not sure I would have watched this last one. Um, it's just kind of rough. Yeah, it really is. Um, I will say this: two, like, give me back to back two really good dynamites. I'll be back in. Like, yeah, it's just it's a it's a slog to just work through right now, and it's quite frankly disappointing. But things can change in a moment, so we'll see. Hopefully they get back on track, man. I just, you know, yeah. would like to see them back to where they were. You and me both. Well, that is our show, Fred. You can follow us on Twitter at GoodBadHungy. You can email the show at HungyPod at gmail.com. We also have a channel in the Voice of the Wrestling Discord. You can ask us questions on any of those mediums, and we will answer them live on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at the Real Forno. You can follow my written work at VikingsWire.com. And also um, watch my football-centric YouTube show, Vikings First and Skull, on a YouTube channel, and that is below in the show notes. And you can also um, follow Fred on Twitter at FlagrantRasslin, an R, not a W, because he's a Ted Turner mark. And you can also subscribe to Fred's Patreon, where he takes a, a more analytical look at the world of professional wrestling with uh, numbers and stats, and that is also in the show notes. Thank you yeah. very much for listening, and we will see you next week week with Take more easy, info everyone. on the all-in ticket sales i'm just gonna stomp over the outro look at me i'm a pro hire me tony Khan. i'm the best <laughs> jesus hey everybody my name is jesse collings and i want to tell you all about my show the gentleman's wrestling podcast here on the voices of wrestling podcast network on the gentleman's wrestling podcast we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media. We talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture. And we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks.